Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the Rare Petro Podcast. Almost an episode of Monday Madness. A little bit shy on the release since uh, Monday was Memorial Day, so we'll call this Memorial Madness. Recording today on Tuesday, May 26th. And I gotta say, it has been a hectic one. Every month I'm excited to maybe get out of all of this coronavirus haze. Maybe get a job, a big boy job now that your boy's graduated. But until I'm gone, I'm going to be here delivering as much news as I possibly can get to you. So, today we will be talking about oil imports. There's lots of trade issues that are presenting themselves worldwide. The first of five Iranian fuel tankers finally reached Venezuelan waters over the weekend, but the contents of the tankers may surprise you. The tankers have about 1.5 million barrels of, well, mostly gasoline with some other refinery-required petrochemicals in order to make gasoline. Venezuela is struggling with a major gasoline shortage, a problem that we certainly aren't seeing here in the U.S. But the problem stems from the shortage of chemicals necessary for the production and refining of gasoline and the fact that Venezuela has already been struggling with economic ruin for some time now. Why not just import the products required? The funny story is that Venezuela suspended its imports of gasoline from the U.S. last year as some tensions began to escalate. And the immense shortage of gasoline and lack of investors only perpetuates Venezuela's difficulties. Last month, Iran offered to help Caracas restart a refinery by flying two planes chock full of petrochemicals necessary to jump kick production to 310,000 barrels per day. More flights were scheduled, and now tankers are arriving as well. As Iran is also a target of U.S. sanctions, the United States is certainly not pleased with this action. A U.S. official told Reuters that Washington was indeed considering moves in response to the tanker deliveries, but did not elaborate on the nature of these moves. Perhaps the U.S. should step carefully when considering its options, as a former Iran OPEC ambassador has suggested that countries under the threat of trades and tariffs from the U.S. should set up a club to facilitate trade amongst themselves. The more countries that the U.S. imposes its trade rules onto, the more options those countries have to trade with each other. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, after all. Enough countries could become involved, each representing essential and unique commodities, that a barter society could emerge where goods are exchanged, while the U.S. watches all the fun from the other side of the schoolyard. Because of these implications, many U.S. companies are strongly urging the Trump administration to avoid imposing more tariffs and trade restrictions. The American Energy Alliance, or the AEA, reported that it had joined a coalition of 23 free market small business and consumer groups who all believe tariffs are, well, about the worst way to go about aiding domestic oil. AEA President Thomas Pyle wrote, Without government intervention, we've already begun to see markets correct themselves and show signs of an upward trend. I gotta say, I'm curious to what upward trend he is speaking on specifically. Sure, WTI prices are higher than one may initially expect right now, but the feds have been printing lots of money and more and more stories of bankruptcies from oil and gas and retail companies continue to roll in. While optimistic in the assessment of an upward trend, I think the only steps taken that are mostly free of government intervention revolve around the production cuts domestic companies are choosing to take. Even so, they do have a point about the tariffs being a poor plan. Ultimately, refineries would take the brunt of the blow from the tariffs, as their costs would not only increase, but operations would have to change drastically from the processing of Saudi Arabian crude to shale from the Permian. They're just two different crude stocks that are useful in producing many different things after refining. This in turn also raises pump prices for consumers, 
harms U.S. oil and refined goods exporters, and just straight up pisses off a lot of the countries who get slapped with a shiny new tariff from the U.S. President Pyle of the AEA continued in his open letter stating, The best solution for U.S. oil and gas producers is reopening the economy in a safe and responsible manner. While I do agree with this, I think we are still a ways out from returning back to normal. Well, <laughs> thanks to Alabama for making an example of themselves. A coworker here at Rare Petro was telling me about an NPR pod. Well, actually, yeah, it was uh, Kevin Olson. Kevin Olson from Rare Petro, who you may have heard on the last podcast we released, The Basin Breakdown for April. Be sure to check that out. Uh, he was talking about how Alabama had reopened most restaurants, bars, and gyms in the state to a limited capacity. Since announcing that, the amount of cases has shot straight through the roof, with an increasing number percentage of cases established every week. While the state isn't sure if it is the fact that more people are congregating in public, or if it is attributed to the increased number of people seeking tests, which is also up a little over 20%, but we may see similar results when Denver chooses to reopen restaurants on May 27th, so we'll see how that goes. While the U.S. will still likely import oil resources from other countries, Russia, on the other hand, has decided to ban imports of all refined oil products in order to protect the refining industry from the threat of cheap imports. This ban will remain in effect until October 1st and aims to preserve the energy security of Russia. Demand for oil products in Russian gas stations has plummeted by as much as 50% because of the lockdowns, and the situation for the Ruskies seems to just get worse as they have reported their highest daily death toll over the weekend of 135. Russian Energy Minister Alexander Novak did acknowledge that the ban is a non-market-based and forced policy, rather than letting the market regulate itself. But other countries are beginning to adopt this policy as well. Kazakhstan, for example. Russia is definitely in a tight spot as they need to cut 2 million barrels per day nationally in the time frame of last month to the end of this month, and the Russian majors are beginning to press the government for concessions to get them through these times. Only time will tell if more companies choose to adopt the strategy of banning imports and if it works for them. So excited to see how that develops within Russia. Hedging for the next year isn't really shaping up to what it's been historically. For those of you who may be unaware of what hedging is, I'll try to illustrate it as simply as I can. Imagine, for example, you are an oil company, we'll say operating right now. Because you're afraid that oil prices may not rebound high in the next year, uh, especially with the issues we will likely see in quarter three as we coast through quarter two, you feel just a little bit threatened and want to minimize the amount of money you may lose in the coming years. So, kind of like with the futures contracts, there is a price, let's say a year from now, and you can settle in and hedge part of your portfolio. So you'll say 35% of the oil you produce sign a contract that this time next year you will be selling it for $30 a barrel. Now if you felt that prices were likely to fall below $35 $30 a barrel, you would hedge part of your production. If you feel that it is likely oil will be worth more than $30, $35 a barrel, you would probably hedge a smaller portion uh, in order to try and take advantage of those higher prices because well, the person you arrange that contract with is definitely buying cheap oil from you and benefiting on money that you could have made. So right now, there are 10% fewer hedges that are typically seen because EMP companies simply don't want to hedge around that $30 per barrel mark. 
The companies that are hedging part of their production in this range are basically saying that they are confident that the oil prices will fall around or below $30, $35 a barrel again next year. Although oil prices this month have been nothing short of surprising and volatile in the upward direction, the WTI swap for 2021 has only climbed 10% in value. Even so, hedging will prove to be a useful strategy to many companies with debt maturing this year or next year. Diamond-backed energy, for example, is using hedge protection to maximize liquidity, retain cash, and pay down the $400 million in debt maturing next September. So it's likely it will be a very hairy year next year, as a lot of people have almost none of their portfolio hedged right after December of 2020. Great embarrassed presentation on that. Lastly, in order to lighten the mood just a little bit, I'd like to talk about what I call the Tulsa Tesla tussle. Ooh, I'm going to be honest with you, it took me about five takes to get that one without stumbling over my words. Anyway, in Tulsa, there's a 75-foot, 21-ton statue of an absolutely ripped roughneck leaning onto a derrick that comes up to his shoulders. It's a pretty interesting statue to check out, so I recommend you Google the Golden Driller sometime so you can get a better image of what I'm talking about. For those of you who haven't heard, Elon Musk has become increasingly upset with California laws and regulations, especially those around coronavirus, as the company continues to face obstruction in production. I think one of the final straws was after California Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez tweeted, F*** Elon Musk, to which Elon Musk replied, message received. This could possibly be Elon hinting at the fact that he is looking to expand his business elsewhere. Many states are trying to make themselves decent candidates, and Tulsa, Oklahoma is giving the Golden Driller a makeover to do so. On the 20th, uh, the belt buckle that initially read Tulsa then read Tesla, and the red Tesla T was painted over the chest of the roughneck, and a wrap of Elon's face was applied to the statue. While pretty crazy in concept, I feel Tulsa has definitely been put into the pool of potential candidates by using their mascot for oil and gas as a display of their desire to construct electric vehicles. Even so, many of the locals are not happy with the decision. While the government aims to bring more jobs and revenue into the state, the residents felt it was inappropriate to modify the statue to appeal to his narcissistic tendencies and grovel at the feet of a billionaire. I've got no skim in the game, so I'm going to say it was a pretty cool move by Tesla in a weird uh, juxtaposition and morphing of oil and gas and electric vehicles. But that's it for this month. Glad I could end it on a lighter note, but lots of trade stuff going on. Everyone's acting. Everyone's working together internationally, domestically. Look out for your friends and neighbors. And until we see you next time, take care.